John Chrysostom once said, Let no one mourn that he has fallen again and again, for forgiveness has risen from the grave. Welcome to the 42nd episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we have to start by cutting ourselves some slack, being willing to go easy on ourselves, to forgive ourselves, and slowly learn to love ourselves as God loves us. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, I received this question, what do you do if you feel called to religious life but have depression? Can those coexist or will most places reject someone in that situation? We've had this question pop up a few times on the podcast and my thoughts are pretty well known to all of you. I think it's crucial for all of us with mental health issues to have the option of a vocation or call to religious life on the table for us. So yes, for sure, I think they can coexist. And while I've heard about individuals being turned away and then connecting that outcome to their mental health condition or previous mental health treatment, I think we have to be willing to take a step back and look at both sides of the story. I think it would be wrong for a religious order to turn someone away on the basis of having mental health treatment in the past. As I always say, seeking out mental health treatment is a strength, not a weakness. And reaching out for help seems to me to be a response to God wanting to help us through others. Even more, I don't think it's fair for an order to turn someone away simply because they have a mental health diagnosis. Looking at the other side of things, however, there are symptoms that we can be experiencing that might make it difficult for us to live the demanding life of the religious order. There may be issues we're working through that would make it difficult for us to focus on our discernment and spiritual growth, and we have to be willing to have an honest look at that side of things as well. My best advice, if you feel like God may be calling you to religious life, seek out someone within the order to talk it out with, someone who you can open up to about your own mental health situation, and someone who can give you unbiased straightforward thoughts on how to approach the situation and how best to move forward. On to the next topic, what do we do when we come to the realization that we need mental health help, but therapy is too expensive, or we search around for help, but no one takes our insurance? This is such an important topic because recognizing we need help and actually getting that help are very different. Too many of us decide we want to start therapy only to never hear back from therapists we've reached out to, not be able to find someone we can afford, or not be able to find help whatsoever. Or we go to the first therapy session and you don't click with the therapist and have to start over. I mean, imagine being depressed, feeling bad about ourselves, having low motivation and energy, and then needing to do the already hard work of trying to navigate the mental health system to find someone to help us. It's excruciatingly difficult. So what can we do? First off, as I often do, I want to recommend workbooks for the symptoms you're experiencing anxious? Look up the Anxiety and Worry Workbook by Beck and Clark. Depressed? Check out the Cognitive Behavioral Workbook for Depression, a step-by-step program by Ellis and Noss. Grappling with PTSD? Pick up a copy of the PTSD Workbook, Simple Effective Techniques for Overcoming Traumatic Stress Symptoms by William and Pajula. 
These workbooks are reasonably priced for less than the cost of a single session with a private practice therapist, and they provide techniques that you would be learning in therapy anyway, giving you an opportunity to try them at home at your own pace without any pressure. And there are a bunch of other great workbooks for other experiences you might be going through, all just a Google search away. Lastly, I always like to point out that a therapist isn't necessarily better because they're more expensive or because they have a certain type of license or degree. If cost is an issue, consider seeing an intern going to a grad school for a therapist uh, for therapists to see one of the students. These folks are under the supervision of licensed clinicians, and I personally know a ton of interns who I think are superior therapists to a whole bunch of different licensed folks I've come across in my time. So be sure to keep that in mind and keep the cost down. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Saint Maturinus. Probably saying it wrong, but what am I going to do? Born in Larchant, France, Materinus was a French exorcist and missionary whose parents were pagans. And even more intense, his father's job was to exterminate Christians in the area. Materinus, however, was secretly baptized at the age of 12 by none other than St. Polycarp and almost immediately showed an ability to perform miracles, drive out demons, and calm angry crowds with his words. He must have been quite the holy example because his pagan parents converted upon witnessing his life. At the age of 20, he became a priest. He eventually went to Rome to help rid the emperor's daughter-in-law of a demon and lived there for uh, interceding for persecuted Christians for the next three years until his death. He became quite popular in the Middle Ages, and due to his connection with exorcism and an experience that at that time was called madness, he was invoked against mental illness and infertility. And bonus trivia, he's also known as the patron saint of clowns. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, and based on St. Maturinus' connection with mental health, we're going with the Prayer Against Depression by Ignatius of Loyola. O Christ Jesus, when all is darkness and we feel our weakness and helplessness, give us the sense of your presence, your love, and your strength. Help us to have perfect trust in your protecting love and strengthening power so that nothing may frighten or worry us. For living close to you, we shall see your hand, your purpose, your will through all things. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy. Anonymous gets us going. I recently started going to therapy for the first time. I have an amazing therapist who I really click well with. The only thing I struggle with is the fact that she's not Catholic. She knows I'm very passionate about my faith, and she says um, that she thinks my values are important. But I'm afraid to bring up things that I feel are related to my religious values, like feeling sad about my only sister being trans, for example. I'm afraid I need to have all the theology perfectly defended ahead of time, as if I'm going into a debate competition instead of therapy. I think any uncertainty makes me wary that she will sway me to believe something contrary to what the church teaches. Should I bring this up with her or am I worrying for no reason? And maybe should I just talk to her as if she's Catholic? This is such a great question, Anonymous, and I'd wager one that a lot of people have found themselves asking. Let's start by joining together in prayer for Anonymous and everyone trying to navigate these kinds of difficulties in the therapeutic relationship. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. I hear a lot from people about their desire to find a Catholic therapist so they can be assured that the therapist will understand and respect their thoughts on certain issues. Most typically, the church's stance on divorce, but also other topics like the one you mentioned. As a therapist who meets with people from all different faiths, here's my thought. If you have been clear with your therapist about where you're coming from, your therapist will respect that. As therapists, we're always looking to learn more about different cultures, learning as much as we can from those we're helping, and never suggest things that would be outside of the framework of their faith. Sure, we might ask questions about it um, that might feel like we're pushing that line, but really it's all in search of learning and seeing where we can go within the framework of the faith that this person has. Now, with that being said, here's two things to get right at your question. Should you bring this up with her? Well, go with your gut. If it's bothering you, you should bring it up. And actually, the therapist would probably welcome the conversation. That's what we're there for, uncomfortable convos that lead to experience expressing ourselves more completely and accurately. Number two, if this is bothering you to the point uh, of not being able to get anything out of therapy or to focus on what the therapy is about, it might be best to seek out a different therapist. The idea of talking to her like she's a Catholic might end up being complicated, and I think the better approach is one of educating your therapist to your beliefs and values like you've done when they apply to what you're discussing, and then trusting that they will be respectful, understanding, and ask clarifying questions when needed. Of course, I can talk all day long about how you don't need a Catholic therapist, but as I've said time and time again, if we're not comfortable with our therapist, we're not going to see the benefit from therapy. It's all about the relationship, all about feeling comfortable with them, so we can open up and be challenged to work through our issues. So if this is going to prevent you from being in that comfort zone, it's best to move on. I hope that helps. God bless. Another anonymous is up next. What do you do when a family member is estranged and has made bad choices that continue to affect the family? Another super important question and one that we all grapple with from time to time. Let's all join again together in prayer for this anonymous, their family member, and all of us trying to work on relationships that we care so deeply about but also find so difficult. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. It's so hard because we always want to be in a loving relationship with all of our family members and be there for them no matter what. And yet, we have to be considerate of our own mental health, that of our family, and sometimes pull back from relationships where loved ones are making bad decisions that impact us or our family. So, I mean, first, we have to realize that we can't control other people. So even though we want so badly for our family members to make the right choice, the healthy choice, the choice for wellness, we can't control them. And we have to come to terms with that everyone has to make their own choices and at some point we've got to let it go we can control our choices and this is where we're making the best decision on how to move forward for our health and the health of our family and where that comes in when we decide we have to have some space for the sake of our own emotional safety and that of our family we have to do two things one 
Be clear as to why you're making the decision to take some space. Be clear that you have to look out for your mental health and that of your family, and that's what's driving your decision. Work hard to use I statements and not place blame. Second, and this is hugely important, always leave the door open for the relationship to resume once they get back on track or or make an effort to start getting back on track, right? For example, we may have family members with severe mental illness who aren't doing anything to get help and it's starting to cause problems in their life and the lives of those around them. And it might be like, I really want to continue this relationship because I love you, but I really want to see that you're getting help for seeing a doctor or a therapist or someone who can help you. Or if it's about drugs, right? I want to have a good relationship with you, but this substance use is making it so hard. And so once you're taking steps toward recovery for your health, we can reassess where we're at and have a good and healthy relationship again. They aren't easy conversations, but they're so important. Now, sometimes we've had these hard conversations, separated ourselves as we've discussed, and we still feel impacted by their choices or by the very separation causing us mental anguish. Did we do the right thing? Could we have done more? And in that situation, we really have to take a step back. Look at why we made the choice we made. Like make a list reminding us of why we decided to take the route we took and help to remind us that we made the best decision for ourselves and our family. Sometimes that questioning and anguish or even continued bad choices impacting us even though we've separated will continue to plague us but we have to keep moving forward one step at a time reevaluating the situation when necessary all in an effort to find that peace take good care Joe wraps us up. I have extreme anxiety around money and anything related to money. I'm married. I'm afraid to have kids. I feel like I don't have any clue what I'm doing when it comes to money. In reality, we're doing fine financially, and we even have a financial advisor. But I definitely have a shortness of breath and a quickened pace every time money comes up. Let's take a quick moment to pray for Joe and all of us struggling with anxiety and the difficult of knowing the difficulty of knowing everything is okay but not being able to shake the feelings of worry and overwhelming negative thoughts. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. I think this is a great and important question, Joe, because so many of us are trying to cope with anxiety and not knowing what to do. Here's the number one thing we all have to remember. Our anxiety and the thoughts that go along with it are often irrational. And that's hard because we think we should be able to think our way out of anxiety. And then we get frustrated or even ashamed when we can't. Like, uh, I'm feeling anxious about money. I look over my situation and realize that everything is okay. I'm fine. And yet, just the thought makes me anxious. What's wrong with me? How do I stop this? It doesn't make sense. And that's something we have to remember. We can't just think everything is okay and have the anxiety go away. Calmclinic.com helps us understand. Irrational thoughts are likely also caused by your environment as well. By environment we're talking about everything you've ever experienced, seen, heard, etc. One recommendation is starting with mindfulness. Mindfulness is the act of recognizing when you have anxiety and then trying to also recognize all of the symptoms that start to go with it. For example, when you have anxiety and then suddenly you have a negative thought, don't act on it right away. Instead, sit, 
and write the thought down and try to understand how likely it is. Focus on both the thought itself and the other more balanced thought you could have. It may help to consider what someone else might think in the same situation. Remember, this is me again, it isn't easy to stop irrational thoughts quickly. It takes practice. It takes repetitious restructuring, as noted above, the technique we were just talking about. And sometimes it takes a therapist to help guide us. Or, or don't forget, you know, you can also check out the anxiety workbook I mentioned uh, earlier in this episode. It's a really, really powerful workbook. May God give you peace this very day. We'll be praying for you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.